Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, TaylorMade Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. I thank you so much for being back here with me again tonight. Got a great show in store for you. Before we get started, I want to give a shout-out to our new sponsors over at the Macklemore, which is a beautiful community resort and golf course just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, up on Lookout Mountain. And, folks, you've got to see this place to believe it. Go look it up online at themacklemore.com, M-C-L-E-M-O-R-E themacklemore.com. Everything about the place up there is beautiful. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend Kip Henley said on Twitter that outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. See why he says that by checking it out online at themacklemore.com. Tonight, folks, my first guest is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. You know Tom as one of the best instructors anywhere on the planet. He also has his own show now on Instagram Live on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Last week's show was outstanding with former University of Florida head coach Buddy Alexander. He's got another top instructor, Bob Grissett, joining him later on this week. Be sure to check out the show. Again, it's on Instagram Live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Tonight, we're going to find out where in the world is Tom Patrick. TP is uh, on the road for the summer, so he's bouncing around hither and yon. We'll find out where he was and where he's going to be. Plus, we'll talk about the awful news that the Golf Channel has laid everyone off and is going to move their operations from Orlando up to Stamford, Connecticut. We'll also talk about his conversation with Buddy Alexander because Buddy coached some great players at the University of Florida. He was also the 1986 U.S. Amateur Champion. And his father, Skip, was a heck of a player who won three times out on tour, plus was a member of the 1951 Ryder Cup team as well. So we'll talk about that and a lot more when TP joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from another great instructor, Rob Strano. want to get a lot of tips tonight from Rob, particularly how to handle those tough lies, you know, those uphill and side hill lies that we tend to get, and we either balloon that shot, come out of it, top it, thin it, whatever. So I want to talk about how can we hit those shots more effectively. Plus, Rob's also got a uh, pretty neat putting drill where he uses the sleeve of the golf balls to putt into, so I want to talk about that. Rob will join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with former LPGA commissioner Charlie Meacham. And Charlie, my my goodness, folks, has led a fascinating life. He was a consulting partner to Arnold Palmer for 20 years. He actually had an office next to Mr. Palmer's at Bay Hill, and they would sit and chat over coffee every day. Jack Nicholas was actually the person who recommended that Charlie take over as commissioner of the LPGA back in the early to mid-90s. We'll hear about their relationship. We'll also hear the story about the time that Charlie spent talking to Mickey Wright, and Mickey Wright was kind of a recluse, and he got to go spend some time with her. So he's got a lot of really great stories. Looking forward to having Charlie as part of the show. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And like I say, as always, thank you so much 
for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Want to start out by saying hello and thank you to my friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence. Want to remind you about their great golf shows. Mitch's podcast is called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can stream online at GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. He and his co-host Darren Bunch are going to take you around the U.S. and Canada, some of the great places that you can go stay and play. Plus, they also let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. Go online to GolfTripX.com to check out their great podcast. Matthew's show is fantastic. It's called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. You can stream the show live by going online to WLXG.com or download the WLXG app. He features our good friend Perry French in the first segment every week, so you know a lot of great tips and content are going to come right off the top of the show. Matthew has great guests, and he's a wonderful friend and a fantastic host, like I say. And uh, you're going to love the show because, like I say, it's one of my favorites. It's called Backspin Golf, but it's on ESPN Radio, WLXG, and WLXG.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade and the TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls. Played by Ricky Fowler, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and Jason Day. It's the hottest tour ball in golf. You know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to the TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X. And now both the TP5 and TP5X are available in high visibility yellow. And you guys know how much I love the yellow ball. Are you the next to make the switch? Check it out at TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. TP is on the road either driving through a city near you, maybe off on the side of the road right now near you. Be sure to keep an eye on his Instagram page at Tom Patry Golf or on Twitter at Tom Patry to see where in the world TP is at right now. His home base is at Esplanade Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida. He's recently built an amazing indoor facility in his garage that I'm jealous as hell about. You can also uh, get a lesson from TP by downloading the V1 video app and send your videos of uh, your golf swing to him through there. Or send him a question on his website, TomPatry.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter while you're on his website. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board. He was a two-time first-team All-American at Florida Southern, and he won the Division II National Championship in 1981. Inducted into their Sports Hall of Fame in 2004. And like I mentioned a moment ago, he's got his own show now Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Instagram Live with a lot of great guests. And it's always a privilege to have TP as part of the show. Hey, Tom, how are you, my friend? Pretty boy. How are you, Tom? Oh, man, I'm doing so Chris, if I was any better, I'd be you. I, I got to tell you before we get started. <laughs> What a show! What a show! Time. Rob Strano, great instructor. First of all, please tell Rob hi. But Charlie Meacham, I didn't know he was on tonight. He's a really old friend of mine during my coaching days on the LPGA tour, and he is a an absolute class act. You got a hell of a show time. Please tell those guys they said hi. I will definitely pass that along. So TP, I know you were uh, recently in my hometown of Pittsburgh, PA. Um, how'd it go up there? I was. I spent uh, I spent two days um, with one of my college players, Chris, um, working with him on his golf game at his club. Um, young man Evan Long plays at the University of Minnesota. He's a heck of a player. Um, just before this whole COVID thing hit, he uh, well, going back to last summer, he set two seventy five or seventy six at the Porter Cup, which, as you know, is about thirteen under. Then he went to Southwest Amateur and shot two seventy six there tore it up again, finished in the top five at both events. And then 
first term of the year at Yale this year. I think, think if I'm not mistaken, 67, 69, 70 have been his second there. So he's, he's turned himself into a really nice little player. We spent a couple of days working on some things, hoping hoping that this college golf season actually does happen, uh, which is still in, you know, up in the air. Uh, so that was fun. And then I, I, I just went right across town after that and spent two days with my dear friend Bob Ford at Oakmont. Uh, as everybody knows, Bob is the retired professional at Oakmont and the current professional at Seminole Golf Club in Juneau Beach, Florida. And uh, we, play, play one, we played golf at Oakmont and, uh, and just uh, talked about <laughs> all the things in the world that are troubling golf. So it's, it's always fun to spend time with Bob. He's, uh, he's a, a, a good friend and a mentor of mine and somebody I have a lot of respect for. So. It was a hell of a couple of days. So talk about that time at Oakmont, because as you know, Bob Friend's a good friend of the show, and, and Bob uh, plays out there frequently and is a member there. Eric Johnson, who was the director of instruction there for many, many years, uh, another great friend of the show. I'm, all, I'm, you know, obviously just like everybody, you know, dying to have an opportunity to play at Oakmont and, and hearing about the greens and the course that, you know, they say is, uh, you know, I think Lee Trevino once famously said that that, that course could play or host a uh, a major at a moment's notice. And we all know about those greens. What was it like playing there? Well, that that was about my, I probably played there about between a half a dozen or more times now. And as a matter of fact, because I saw friends while I was there. I saw Bob Friend while I was there on the range. We spoke a little bit. He's, he's an old friend of mine as well and a great guy and uh, obviously grew up under the tutelage of Bob Ford. Uh, but when we teed it up on just, a, just an average day at Oakmont, the greens were 14.5. Uh, wow. The fairways, the fairways were like uh, pool tables, and uh, you know there's a lot of slope in the fairways there. So getting the ball in the fairway and keeping it in the fairway is a challenge there. Then <laughs> getting it on the per- putting surface and keeping it on the putting surface is another challenge. And if you're lucky enough to get on the putting surface, the putting the ball is pretty challenging. So it's it's hard as dogs. Basically, is what I'm trying to say, Chris, and, and uh, you know, it just, it just wears. I mean, it's, I, I love it myself. I think it's so much fun, and I, I, I love the challenge. But uh, it's, uh, I, I always tell people, if you, if you have to, if you die, you go to hell. You have to play Oakmont and Carnoustie every day for the rest of your life, back to back, forever. Um, that, that would be, that would be, that would, that would be, that would be hell. Um, but it is, it's a heck of a place. I mean, as you know, Chris, the history there, the amount of major and the history of golf and things that happened in American golf on that property are, are really basically probably second to none. And I would include Augusta in that too. They've hosted, you know, more USGA events than any other club. And uh, they've got the U.S. Amateur there next year. Um, it, it's a, and, and the new professional that took over for Bob Devin D is a heck of a guy. They, they gave a job to the right guy. It's, it's, they're in, they're in good hands there for a long time to come, but it's uh it's just, it just reeks history, the whole property. It's just a heck of a place. Tom, I want uh, I want you to give another plug for your recent good news, becoming an ambassador for the Dormy Network. Remind our listeners about what that's all about. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm actually about, just about to spend my first uh, my first time on property at Hidden Creek, which is one of their facilities. The Dormy Network is a collection of six destination golf clubs, uh, very, very high-end. Hidden Creek uh, in uh, just outside of Atlantic City, New Jersey, where I'll spend uh, quite a bit of time, hopefully, in the future. And then Ballyhack in Virginia, outside of Roanoke. Uh, the Dormy Club itself is in Pinehurst, which is just going through a magnificent renovation right now as we speak. Uh, Briggs Ranch in San Antonio. and uh, Victoria National, which is uh, is obviously very well-known 
hosted Corn Ferry Finals there. Uh, and it's a really hard golf course, but a spectacular piece of property. And then Arbor Links in Nebraska. So it's a, it's a network of six right now. Uh, and um, I would I would suspect that the, that number is going to go up. And and you, when you join the Dormy Network, you join all six clubs for a. And I, I, I'm not going to go through a sales pitch online, but uh, it is an incredible bargain, if you ask me. Um, and I then I have the ability to bring groups to any of those clubs. Uh, people can contact me if they want to do something in those clubs from a teaching standpoint or a playing standpoint. Um, as an ambassador, I, my basically my job is to fill up those facilities. Uh, so I've got. Uh, my first trip down there is July 1st through 8th to Hidden Creek in New Jersey, which is a core Crenshaw golf course, and I'm actually sold out those days already. Uh, but I'm going to have a return visit in August and September, and people can contact me if they're interested. But it's it's pretty cool, Chris. I'm really I'm really very excited to be part of the network, and uh, I'm really honored to be asked. Tom, another relatively new thing that you're doing is your own show on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock on Instagram Live. and. And last week you spent some time with Buddy Alexander, and it was sort of my first introduction to who Buddy is and uh, what his career was like, and uh, also his father Skip, who had a a really great career on the PGA Tour as well. Talk about your relationship with both of them. Yeah, well, Buddy and Skip, you know, it's really an incredible uh, lineage of DNA. And now, now actually, Buddy's son Tyson. Uh, is playing some corn ferry golf. He played for Buddy at Florida, but Buddy Alexander was the head golf coach at the University of Florida for 27 years, won 10 SEC championships and two national championships, but coached people like Brian Gay, Camilo Vajegas, Billy Horschel, uh, Josh McCumber, the list goes on and on. I mean, he, he probably had eight, eight, eight billion All-Americans under him. Uh, I think when you think about college coaching, you think about Dave Williams at, at the University of Houston had a storage career there. You know, people like Fred Couples and Bruce Litsky and his, his, his lineage is incredible. And then Mike Holder at Oklahoma State coached everybody in the world you could think of on the PGA Tour and Buddy Alexander. Those three guys were kind of the Mount Rushmore of college golf. Um, and I don't know if those three guys, if you put their collective accomplishments together, would ever be topped. But uh, Buddy's father, Skip, was a Ryder Cup player, a uh, very, very close friend of Sneed and Hogan's. Um, so the DNA is spectacular. And I met Buddy um, during my time at Florida Southern. He was living in Lakeland, Florida, playing competitively. Uh, and, and frankly, Chris, if, if it wasn't for Buddy um, and his influence on me, I, I wouldn't have won my NCAA in 81. Uh, he had a big influence on me, not so much from a technical standpoint, but more from a how-to-play-the-game standpoint. He is truly a coach. Um, and we've been very close friends ever since my college days, and uh, we've stayed in touch. He now has retired, and his wife, Joni, has taken over an a administrative post uh, in the golf area at Auburn University, so they've moved to Auburn, Alabama. So I, t- I tell him he's a trader now, you know, go Gators, he's up in <laughs> Auburn. Um, but uh, he still plays, you know, he still plays wonderful senior golf. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he won the, I think last year, the year before, he won the Florida Senior Amateur. Um, so he still plays at a very nice level. Uh, and Certainly, anytime you can spend time with Buddy Alexander, he has a, he has, actually has a golf consulting company. He consults kids about their college career. And if anybody's out there listening, it's a junior player that wants to play college golf and is looking for some direction, some mentorship. Um, they should get in touch with Buddy. Um, that's what he that's what he basically spends most of his time doing now is consulting young people about what what's going to happen or how to be prepared for college golf. Um, but a heck of a guy, you know, a heck of a guy. You should definitely have him on your show. He's a He's got 
more great stories. Uh, he'll definitely be back on mine again. We, we could fill up three hours of just golf stories that uh, he's been pretty, you know, played in two U.S. Opens, played in a couple of Masters, played on the Walker Cup team, and, of course, won a U.S. Amateur. Um, so he's uh, he, he's had a pretty nice golf career, to say, to say the least. And speaking of great stories that he has to share, you got to share the story about the time that his father kicked you out of their house. Well, yeah, so, so Skip... <laughs> Skip, Skip, I had never met Skip, and I was dying to meet him, and I, I, I knew I knew about Skip's background, and Skip was the head pro at uh, Lakewood Golf Club, which you know, I think I think it's now changed to St. Petersburg Country Club, but uh, it's, a, it's a really good amateur tournament there called the New Year's Invitational, and I, I I probably didn't have a good enough resume to get in, but wanted to get in bad during my junior year at Florida Southern, see my NCAA win, and, and, uh, and Buddy obviously pulled some strings with Dad and got me in, but he also, in getting me in, wound up getting me to stay with Skip and, and his mom at their house, which was right on, I think, on one of the fairways in the back nine, if I remember correctly, at the club. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I don't remember the exact words he used, but I'm pretty sure when I first walked in the house, he said, uh, I'd never met anybody. He's a very opposing, very imposing figure, a big man, deep, raspy voice. And he said, uh, you know, three years ago, Hal Sutton stayed here and he won the golf tournament. Last year, he said, you know, Jody Mudd won here stayed here and he won the golf tournament. The year before that, Gary Hallberg stayed here and he won the golf tournament. He said, what are your plans for the week, son? And I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, it's a great field. And I'm like, I'm just trying to make a cut, man. I'm thinking, oh, man, this guy's going to put the heat on me right away. So long story short, uh, I went out the first three rounds. And I think I shot 68, 70, 72, and I was tied for the lead with a guy named Bob Michael who was a player at the University of Florida, and Nathaniel Crosby, who had just previously won the U.S. Amateur the year before, going to the last round. We had perfect weather the first three days, and, and the scoring was pretty good, and the golf course was terrific. And we woke up the last morning, and it had gone from, you know, 80 degrees and sunny and perfect to 45 degrees and blowing a million miles an hour. Uh, and the greens got crispy and firm and hard, and everyone out struggled. And long story short, I went up losing by two shots, finishing tied for second with Crosby, and Bob Michael won. And after the trophy presentation, I looked around, and everybody had disappeared, and they kind of left me standing there. So I had to walk back across the golf course to the house, carried my bag across the golf course, and got to the house. And and when I when I walked up to the back of the house, they had a, a sliding glass door, and the kitchen table was just inside the door, and at the table was Buddy was sitting at the table, Skip was sitting at the table, and Buddy's mom. And I looked up, and outside the door in the back patio, was my suitcase that had already been packed for me. It was outside the door, and I went up, when I went to open the yeah, exactly. When I went to open the sliding glass door, it was, it was, it was locked. That was Skip's very subtle way of saying, nice job that last round, pal. Try again. Um, and and, I, and I, obviously, I obviously wasn't very happy about my performance as it was. So when, when they finally opened the door and let me in, um, Skip and I had a few words that weren't, we can't repeat right now. Uh, and, and, and incredibly from those words, he, he respected the fact that I stood up for myself. And he told me I would be back down there the following Saturday morning uh, to spend a day with him, to go over everything I had done wrong competitively that last round. And, and then we became great friends, and he became a mentor to me as well. And uh, uh, it, it was awesome. He, he, he was a really tough guy, man. He was not, he was not easy at all. Um, but he had incredible golf knowledge and, and obviously great playing knowledge, and uh, and and he helped me a lot going forward from there. So 
But yeah, he did throw me out of the house. <laughs> Let's throw one one more Skip story because as I mentioned a moment a moment ago, he won three times on tour, finished in the mm-hmm. top fifteen in the Masters, the U.S. Open, and the PGA Championship between 1948-1950. Won the Ben Hogan Award after coming back from a physical handicap, and then mm-hmm. he won an improbable match at the 1951 Ryder Cup with bleeding hands. Tell tell the story about Skip's appearance at the Ryder Cup. Skip was involved in a plane crash in Evansville, Indiana, that killed everybody on the plane but him, and he was not expected to make it. Um, uh, In fact, I don't know how he made it, considering the plane flipped over, burst into flames, everybody was killed, and he crawled out of the plane on his elbows, basically. I mean, he he had more broken bones and uh, ruptured spleen and, you know, all kinds puncturing lung and burns and you know real burns and anyway he came back it was just, it was probably more devastating than than the Hogan car crash actually um, and because of his points from the previous year when he recovered and it took him a moment to recover he was eligible for the following Ryder Cup that you mentioned the 51 uh, but nobody really gave him much credence because of because of the injuries and he just started playing back and everything the miracles he was even alive. So one of the things that happened during that match is when Sam Steed was the captain, he put him out against, at the time, Great Britain and Ireland's best player uh, on that on that particular team, kind of as a sacrificial lamb, figuring that you know they they were going to give up that point, but you know, you know, but but you know they, he, he felt obligated to put Skip out, and I think Skip beat the guy eight and seven. <laughs> he just trounced the guy, just beat him to death. And that, that kind of tells you a little bit about the Alexander family DNA right there, because Buddy's got that same that same resolve, and his son Tyson, who's on the Corn Ferry tour, has that same resolve. There's not a lot of give up in the Alexander family. Uh, um, just just an incredible um, grouping of family accomplishments that uh, that is not, I don't think, is well documented enough in, in golf annals. TP, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to get your perspective on a couple of things. And first, sort of the news that sort of has rocked the golf world, if you will, as the Golf Channel is laying off their entire staff by the end of August. And um, they're moving their headquarters from Orlando up to Stamford, Connecticut. Um, I know you've got a lot of friends at the Golf Channel. wanted to get your thoughts on what's happening there. Yeah, I, I've, I've actually known about this, Chris, for, um, well, I've actually known about it since March. Um, they, it was kept quiet for a long time. Um, I do have a lot of friends at the channel. And it's not completely accurate they're laying off everybody. They're laying off what is considered their essential support staff in Orlando. Uh, they have not yet determined about um, the talking heads, per se, people in studio on air who's going to stay and who's going to go. We haven't made all those decisions yet. But, yeah, all the ancillary people basically have been said that they're they're laid off and they can reapply for their jobs in Stanford if they want, which obviously is, is kind of a farce because if some guy lives in Orlando, Florida, he's a, he's a cameraman and his whole family's in Orlando, Florida, his kids go to school in Orlando, Florida, he's a cameraman, he's not moving to Stanford, Connecticut. So basically what he said to that guy is, you know, you're done. Um, I don't really understand it. I'm, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's financial reasons and tax implications and a lot of different reasons, you know, that NBC is consolidating because they do have studios already in Stanford that they broadcast different things from like, um, 
the NFL halftime report and uh, you know various other things. Uh, that's where they do a lot of their Olympic coverage from, regardless of where the Olympics are. They're they're yeah you know, they're base studios there. They do a lot of different things from there. I don't get it. I you know I I was at I was at the Orlando um, facility for the golf channel in March during Bay Hill, uh, and I did some early shows for the channel at way back at their inception. Uh, you know, the, the facility in Orlando has grown incredibly over the years. It's actually a fantastic, fantastic building and headquarters. So to dismantle that whole thing and walk away from it uh, and go to Stanford, Connecticut, um, I'm not really sure why that decision was made. I'm sure it was made by somebody a lot smarter than me. Um, and I'm sure there are reasons, but um, they're they're really uh, turning a lot of lives upside down by doing that. So I'm sure it's not a very popular decision. You know, I mean, you know, people who will stay at the channel have friends that will lose their jobs, um, very close friends, I'm sure. So there's, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of animosity, a lot of bittersweet, you know, that goes on there. Um, but I, I don't think uh, behind the scenes that's a very popular uh, decision among the rank and file. And Tom, staying in the broadcast world, we've had a couple of weeks now of uh, PGA Tour events with no fans. Has that uh, yeah, taken have. away anything from your enjoyment of watching tournament golf? I, I'm kind of I'm kind of back and forth on this one, Chris. That's an interesting question. I I've gotten to watch. Uh, you know, both weeks a little bit, and uh, on one hand, I'm just so glad golf's back on TV, and, and we get to watch some good golf, and and we've seen some great golf actually being played. We've seen some seen some really good finishes, and you know, and they've had two great fields. Obviously, these guys are chomping at the bit to play. So, from an entertainment value standpoint, I think it's it, both events have been. You know, I, I, I know I know you have because we both are passionate about our golf. I'm sure our fans out there listening are, but you know, we just we just so wanted to see golf back on TV. And the golf has been so good; it's been fun. But that said, it's been weird watching it and kind of looking around as a golf professional and as a former player and look around and go, you know, where is everybody? <laughs> you know, like it's you know, there's no fans, there's no people behind ropes is, you know, there's no people standing behind the tee when they pan back to the tee or the green. So to me, it's been a little bit strange only because I am so used to, you know, understanding when you're playing inside the ropes that, you know, you feed off that emotion and that electricity in an event. Um, I'm sure it has to be really weird for the players. Um, and, and, you know, we've heard mixed messages. Some guys have liked the solace and the quiet. Some guys have been like, you know, there's no electricity and it's been kind of weird. So, um, you know, on one hand, like I said, I'm glad golf's back on TV and we get to see some great play again. But I'm, I can't picture, you know, we talked about this before and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I can't picture a Ryder Cup without fans. I can't picture the Masters in November potentially without fans. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I don't know how that works. I really don't. Yeah, well, to that end, right? And we were expecting the announcement, I think, next week about the Ryder Cup, but rumor has it that they're going to push it back the next year yeah. and then subsequent yeah. years push those back. Um, but to your point about the Masters, and if the Ryder Cup makes that announcement, they're not going to play this year. I just, I can't, I can't, I'm with you. I just can't imagine Augusta National going, going no fans. And it's so close, you know, if you will, to, to next year's Masters. Right, November to April, six months. 
I, yeah. I, I, I'm anticipating, Tom, that they pull the plug on it, that they tried. Yeah, yeah. We thought maybe it would be all right, but our Masters with no fans isn't a Masters, and they say we'll see you next year. What do you think? You know, Chris, I, I, I got to agree with that. It wouldn't surprise me a bit, although, you know, every time we think we understand what the minds of Augusta National are thinking, they, 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 they put a different spin on it, and, and we were less scratching our head about certain things. So it, they're a hard group to figure out, uh, to put it mildly, and I'm not being insulting. Just, they're just they're different. There's a different cat. It's a different animal. They, they, they call their own shots. They answer to no one, basically. It's almost like they, they're the king of the golf world. So they, they kind of make some decisions sometimes that, you know, you kind of wonder about. But um, it wouldn't surprise me either way. I, I'm with you. I don't think a Masters without fans makes any sense at all. Uh, but a year where the Masters isn't played. And, and now, you know, I'm just watching TV this afternoon with, uh, with the virus spiking again in a lot of places. Um, and it looks like the trend is not a good one right now. Um, that would certainly be concerning as well. We know, you know, we had Cameron Champ test positive today. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, second player now, previously Nick Watney had tested positive. Now we have two players testing positive in two consecutive weeks. Um, so there's got to be some, there's got to be some, uh, speculation about what's going to happen there. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners again, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, where you're going to be? And find your show uh, on Thursday night. Well, on Thursday night, one thing I want to mention every night is on is on uh, July 23rd. I've got a special show. I've got a bunch of shows before that, obviously, but I've got Chris Mascaro coming on. So for all you people who have been listening, you to do Chris Mascaro, you, you don't know that, huh? You better you better make sure you know that. <laughs> Seven twenty-three. Don't don't be doing that to me now. Don't be doing wow. That to me. Um, yeah. So for all these people who want to see how good looking this guy actually is in person. You get, you can put a face with the voice, and I get and I get to turn the tables on the guy and, and ask the question. Uh, it'll be yeah, it's going to be good. You better put your seatbelt on. But yeah, the, oh, Thursday night, eight, yeah, Thursday night's at eight o'clock. Instagram live. We, uh, I got Bob Grissom coming on this week, who's, a, who's probably the best teacher that nobody knows in the whole world. This guy is incredibly talented, and followed by a guy named Bill Smead, who's Another young teacher in New Jersey who I've been following for two years now, I just think is super talented. And then that's followed by Bob Ford, uh, who we just talked about earlier, the pro is Seminole. And then Lynn Matisse, uh, champion store player who uh, was runner up in the Masters, lost in the playoff, um, and, and won three or four times on tour is coming on. And, and they, they're going to they're gonna be preceding the great Christmas carol on 723. So, yeah. So you can always find me on Instagram live on, live on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. But, again, like you said, Chris, earlier, my website, TomPatrick.com, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, and, and, of course, Instagram, uh, always available. Um, and that's not really important. What's really important is on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock, you're on, and this show is awesome. And you got two great guests behind me that you need to get to, and Rob Strano and, and, uh, and Charlie Meacham. Uh, and and you, do, you, you pull a rabbit out of your head every week with great people. You're the best in the whole business. <laughs> I appreciate you, TP. You're uh, you're awesome, my friend. I can't thank you enough for your time, and uh, certainly look forward to catching up with you uh, in a couple of weeks. And then, and then I got to get on my game. Seven twenty-three. I might be sick that night. I don't know. I'm already well, nervous. Dude, dude, if you're in the hospital on a on a ventilator, you're coming on that night, pal. Just, just, <laughs> just so you know. Indeed. <laughs> TP, take care, my friend. Stay safe out there. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. 
Love you, pal. Have a great show. Good night, pal. See you, Tom. That's a great Tom Patrick. At Tom Patrick Golf on Instagram. At Tom Patrick on Twitter. Thursday nights, 8 o'clock. It's his show. It's a lot of fun. Very informative. Tom is really, really good at it, too. So uh, make sure you, you, you bookmark that and go check him out. All right, before I get to my next guest, Rob Strano, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world, and that remains their mission today. Every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen, they micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll find them only online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them there today to learn about their great products and their great prices. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back in making his ninth appearance with me here on Next on the Tee. He's one of the top instructors anywhere on the planet and the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, which you can watch on Amazon Fire TV and Roku, and that's Rob Strano. Rob has become a great friend over the years. Always enjoy getting to spend time with him. Let me remind you about his background. He's from St. Louis, Missouri. As a junior player in the St. Louis District, Rob won the individual low-stroke average trophy and the Individual Points Championship Trophy back in 1981. He was a three-time All-Southwestern Conference player and a two-time All-Area player in his high school days. Played his college golf at Centenary College in Louisiana. Played out on the PGA nationwide in Hooters NGA Tours for 15 years. Won five times while he was out there. Rob is annually recognized by U.S. Kids as one of their top instructors as well. Plus, he's one of the few teaching the game to deaf children. You've probably also seen Rob on the Golf Channel's Golf Academy, where he's a lead instructor. He's also got his own golf academy, Strano Golf Academy, at uh, Kelly Plantation down in Destin, Florida. And as always, it's an honor to have him with me tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Rob, how are you, my friend? Chris, great to be with you. Always enjoy being on the show. And I just got to get my hands out of my head here. Did you have to put dates with all that stuff? Did you have to say what year? All those things were. I mean, oh my gosh! I started doing, I started doing math here, and and I mean, I, now I've got my hands in my head. I'm going, am I this old, Chris? Oh my gosh, dude, dude! No one looks younger than Robbie Strano. You look like you're about 35 <laughs> years old. So you got a, you got a lot of mileage left on that body and the and the hair. Goodness knows, you got a head full of hair. I got I got about six strands of hair on my head. You got a head full of hair, so you got nothing to worry about, my friend. Well, I'm trying to hide it as long as I can, buddy. <laughs> no doubt. Rob, you down, like I say, you're down there in Destin, Florida. We were talking, you know, in between shows, and um, it seems like COVID-19 is sort of bypassed your area, though we see Florida is starting to spike up. How are things around Destin? Oh, we're so busy. Everything's been great. We had just a little small um, time when we were shut down, except for members at our course. And then open back up. We've been slammed, whether it's tea times or lessons at the academy. Um, it's a great time for golf. It's the ultimate social distancing event. I mean, it's the sport played on the world's biggest playing field. When you have the world's biggest playing field, it's not hard to, quote unquote, social distance and take a few precautions, get out there 
knocked the ball around. And the thing I'm finding is people that have been, been away from the game are rediscovering why they love golf in the first place and can't wait to get back out there and knock it around with friends and get outside and enjoy the, the fresh air and, and the great scenery of a golf course. Are you seeing the same level of play as you're used to seeing this time of year? Oh, it's beyond. I mean, it's it's tough to get a tee time, and um, you know the academy's busy. Uh, it's it's just it's fantastic right now to be here in the Panhandle, Florida. Yeah. And Rob, I want you to remind our listeners about your golf show, the Golf Kingdom, because. It's probably the only golf variety show that uh, that there's ever been. Talk about the things you do on TV. Well, it's funny. I was just talking to one of my golf channel producers about the Golf Kingdom TV show. And, and we do stuff that's not only not being done on golf shows, whether it's Golf Channel or anything else. Um, but we're doing stuff that's not done in any sports shows. Um, we've become well-known for the way we open the show with parodies and cold opens in the last couple of weeks, we've done uh, an Indiana Jones parody. Um, I did Oh Fudd from a Christmas story a couple of shows ago. Um, so we, we take movies and kind of reenact them and put a golf spin on them and, um, and other fun things to open the show. So it's always a clever way that we open the show. And then just the segments we do to help players games that we, you know, we've got clever titles, the, the, the kiss, segment yeah keep it simple strand keep it simple strano i mean you know we talk about something simple to help your game i mean golf can get complex and this is just something in a 90 second segment that boom you can take right to the course and we've got the big fish segment where i use an oversized golf club to make it easy to see something that goes on in the swing um, a new popular segment is don't monkey with your game where i actually have a uh, neil the monkey uh, pass me a note, then I read what's on the note, and we talk about what you shouldn't be monkeying with with your game. And you know, we've got 20 or 30 different fun segments that we've done and continue to do. Um, GIB Golfer in Black, the Secrets of Golf. I'm Special Agent R for that, and uh, it just the list goes on and on. And so it's an entertaining show. You never know what's happening next. I've been known to sing, uh, much to the, the displeasure of my family. Um, I, I sing, dance, anything I can do to get your attention, make you laugh, make you pay attention and get up and try something to help your game. So I want to talk about some of that. And, and one of the recent segments in your keep it simple Strano, um, was a putting drill that you showed using the sleeves of the golf ball. Talk about what that drill is all about. Well, it's just super simple. I mean, every golf ball comes on a sleeve of, of three comes in a box. And if you're trapped indoors on a rainy day or you're in your office and can't get out to the golf course, take the balls out of the sleeve, lay the sleeve on the ground, and start at two feet and putt until you can put all three balls back into the sleeve. Then back up three feet, rinse and repeat, and keep going and see how far you can go. And I think on the show, if I remember right, in one take, I think I went out to five feet without missing. That's impressive. Heck, I was impressed. I was like, the camera's <laughs> running. I was like, we got, I, I did it. I looked at my crew and I went, holy smokes. Dang, I hope the cameras are running. We didn't, we didn't miss that. Please tell me where we got all that tape. Yeah, that was awesome. Good for you. And, yeah, and then I'm that same. I could do it again. 
It doesn't matter, right? The cameras were rolling. It got captured. That's yeah. all that matters. On that same episode, Rob, you, you shared a tip for how to hit the shot on a downhill, side hill sort of lie. That's a, that's a shot that, you know, many of us struggle with, whether it's we come up out of it, we top it, we thin it, we, we overcompensate, which is what I typically would end up doing and double cross on that shot. Talk about that severe downhill, side hill lie on that, like if we got it on a mound, how can we stay in that shot and hit it successfully? Well, the first thing you have to do is realize you kept using the same word over and over again. The word is shot. You're not taking a swing. This isn't a full swing. This isn't a, I'm on a driving range and it's the same swing. You know, if you're on a, a, a 30, 30% float, you can't take a swing at that. The slope is too steep. You, you're going to have to fight if the ball is below your feet. You're going to have to fight like heck to stay down there to make contact. You got to hold knee flex to do that. And it's, it's basically, I, I had this happen on a playing lesson recently. Uh, a player drove it through a fairway on the downside of a mound, and it was at least a 30 to 40, 40% slope. And I said, you got to bend your knees a lot. You got to bend over a lot. You got to stay in the shot. And when you finish, you got to hold knee flex. I said, this is more of a pitch out than a swing. We can advance this ball 100 to 140 yards, depending on the roll. That's a good play. We were on a par five. So if he got it to go 140, 150, it's like, like, like six iron or five iron. Just trying to stay down on it, stay in it, catch it solid. I said, just think like you're pitching out of the trees, that kind of a swing. And they caught a solid little five or six iron that flew maybe. 110 yards and rolled about 40, and they had 120 into the par par five. Whereas you know most people grab grab a three wood and go, hey, I'm I'm 270, I got a three wood here, and then they skull it or shank it off into the trees, and they make a mess of the hole. So the the key on these things, on these big pitchy lies, is to realize it's a shot. It is not a swing, and sometimes that shot is a real abbreviated move. And Rob, you make another really good point in there, and, and that's about strategy around the golf course, right? I mean, I um, think Chris, it's hang different. Chris, Chris, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm sorry. A point about what? Strategy? No, no, no. The word is strategy. Get that, get that <laughs> right. <Strano-G. laughs> my bad. That's my bad. So the strategy around the golf course, right? So that we don't end go. up making the mess of the hole. Talk about your know, mindset around making sure we actually are playing well within ourselves. You know, and that's really lost on a lot of people, Chris, is they forget it's a game. And I, I, use, I use the analogy of if I gave you a diamond-encrusted golf ball that was worth $12 million, and I said, we're going to play 18 holes of this, and if you're done, and you, or when you get done, if you sell the ball, you get to keep it. Man, you're going to make a lot better decisions, aren't you? You're not going to, you're not going to get rough and go behind the tree and go, you know what? I'm going to hook this out over the lake and bring it back in the fairway, you know, or I'm not, I'm not going to try to go under this tree and, and slice it 30 yards with three iron and, and get it up in front of the green. And then it hits the tree and ricochets over into the woods and you don't find the ball. You're going to make a lot better decisions on how to actually play the game. And, and you know, I just find, you know, players, when I take them out in the course of a playing lesson and I talk to them about where we're aiming, what we're doing, it's just mind blowing to them. They're going, wait a second, I'm aiming there. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm like, yeah, because 
the other thing you're thinking, you might do two out of 10 times and you're going to end up in that deep bunker on the left. And that's, and that's bogey or double for you. So we, we talk about these mindsets. You know, one interesting thing, Chris, to think about next time you go play, a flag stick, if it just falls over, just falls over still like touching the hole, is roughly two yards. So it's two yards laying on the ground. Okay. So two yards is by my math. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you have two flag sticks laying end to end with one laying in the hole, okay? Uh-huh. That's 12 feet from the hole. But from the fairway, that looks like it's a gigantic distance from the hole. So we won't aim that far away. And you get up there and all of a sudden you're like, well, shoot, this is a 10-footer. Next time you go play, everybody listening, envision the plastic falling over and then envision another one touching it laying there. So 12 feet and look at it and go, wow, that's 12 feet from here. I can aim at that spot and not worry about hitting it in the water left, down the hill to the left, in the deep bunker. And you'll get up there and go, boy, that was a, a real easy spot for me to aim to. I don't make double bogey here like I usually do. And look at this. I got a, a putt for birdie. And wow, it, it's 15 feet. It, it's amazing that little visual, how it really will change where you aim as you approach a flag in the green. That's a great point, Rob. And, and I want to take two things with that. First of all, I, I'm not a guy that gets to, to play two or three times a week. And one of the things that I've really started to put in my mind is that I'm not good enough to aim right at the flag, that I should really be aiming for the middle of the green. Because if I push it a little, I'm still, you know, I probably still honor right around the green. If I pull it a little, I'm still on or around the green. I may have a longer putt or I might miss it and it might actually go it, go by the hole. So from a strategy, I start to look at it differently. Should I be doing that? Is that the right thing to do or is that the wrong image to put in my head? You know, I, I, I love that thought. I'll give you two examples. Early in my professional career, I was uh, qualifying for one of the state opens and I knew I didn't have to shoot a low score. It's just, you know, just a qualifier to get the state open. And so I decided that having a low stress round of golf, I was just going to play in the middle of the green all day. And I shoot 69 and finish like third. Just, I mean, there was no flag. I mean, I remember on 16 hitting a shot, aiming at the middle of the green, which was maybe 15 feet left of the flag. And the ball hit and took a gigantic bounce to the right and rolled up their foot from the hole. I wasn't even aiming at the flag. It was just funny how that happens. And then one year at Q school, we're playing at uh, Old Fort Golf Club in Tennessee. And the greens there are all long and narrow. They kind of look like your cell phone when you look at them. And so they're not wide. They're long, long and narrow. And I, my strategy for the, the tournament week was I'm just going to play down the center line of every, every green pin high. And I, I finished like six to seven. And moved on to the next stage, and it was low stress. I mean, the only time I went for five was if I had a wedge in my hand. Everything else was center line, pin high, and I never, I never had more than a 15, 20 foot putt. So all those, those little things, they work in your strategy as you're planning how to play a golf course. And of course, if you're a recreational player, I'm not proposing that 
you play safe on every shot. That's no fun. But you got to pick your, your spots to gamble. You just can't take 18 chances per round. If you're going to take 18 chances per round, then your score is going to reflect that. And I think back to when I played the tour, if I had barely made the cut, I played a fun kind of way on Saturday. Because when you barely make the cut, the difference between 72 and 77 is irrelevant because you don't go anywhere. You stay in the bottom, 10 names at, you know, at the, at the leaderboard. And so Saturday was go for everything day. And I shot a bunch of 65s and 60s on sixes on Saturday. Riders went for everything. And, when, and that's what you have to do on Saturday to move up the leaderboard. You know, you had to go low. So it's not, you know, sometimes it's fun to go for it. Sometimes, you know, you play it safe. Sometimes you got to hedge your bets and go, eh, I'm going to play a little center line shot here and use my strategy to my benefit. Rob, just a couple more before I let you go. And another shot that a lot of us face, particularly on courses, you know, near where you're at uh, or along the ocean near a large body of water, it's that tee shot over the water, or we might have water on either side as, as we're teeing it up. And, and I think we, we get in our heads, you know, if the water is on the right, I can't hit it right. I gotta, I gotta do this so I don't hit it right. Or, you know, if it's over a body of water, boy, I gotta swing really hard, to get this ball over the water. Um, talk about how we can keep our minds in a positive state and not thinking the thing we shouldn't be doing. That's, you know, that's everybody's greatest challenge is not thinking the wrong thing. I, I hearken back to Mo Norman, one of the greatest ball strikers in the game. He was asked one time, Mo, what do you do on a really tight golf hole? I mean, a hole that's really tight. He said, there's no such thing. The ball will fit. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's just kind of a funny way to think of it. The ball will fit. Do we let our minds allow the ball to fit? I mean, so think about it this way. If you took a golf ball and put it at the edge of the waterhead and then put golf balls next to it all the way across the fairway to, say, the fairway bunkers on the left, there's possibly 100 to 200 golf balls you could line up. So the golf ball can go any one of those spots. But our mind doesn't allow us to do it because, don't hit it in the water. So as you say, don't hit it in the water. Your mind sees it splash and you gravitate to that spot. A, a simple thought is behind a spot, you're a little queasy over. And there's water right, water left, or wherever, wherever the, the water is trying to magnetize your, your thoughts to. Pick that spot in front of the ball. You know, that spot we pick three feet in front of the ball to aim over. And when you swing, you have single-minded focus, and it's just. I'm going to make this ball go over that spot right there. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to make it go over that spot. And when I look up for the ball, I'm going to expect to see it in the air where it should be, not where it shouldn't be. And if you can mentally do those two things, you're going to find you'll hit a lot better shot on those holes you perceive as tight. Rob, before I let you go, let our listeners know about, again, where they can watch the Golf Kingdom and how they can get in touch with you and come see you down at Kelly Plantation. Well, the Golf Kingdom is available, like you mentioned, on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. You can go there and download the Golf Kingdom channel. You'll have all the episodes there, including our upcoming one that comes out tomorrow. 
if you happen to be listening to the Panhandle here, we are on Blab TV across the Gulf Coast. Um, you can, you know, for, for a couple hundred miles, east and west, north and south, we cover the Gulf Coast with the Gulf Kingdom. So our, our listeners in my area can catch it on Blab TV. Um, but Roku and Amazon always have the updated shows there. So go there, download the channel. Uh, it's kind of funny. I must say this. It's going to click on. If you have an Alexa device, you can enable the Golf Kingdom skill. And if you say, Alexa, play the Golf Kingdom, she'll give you a daily tip from me every day. Alexa, stop. <laughs> She's getting ready to play it. Um, so it's, it's a great way to get a tip from me on, on your um, A-L-E-X-A device. Um, and then uh, straddlegolf.com has everything about um, the academy, how to book. You're right there at the top of the, the page. You can book online with me. Um, you know, you can contact me there with any questions about getting a lesson. Whether you want to come for aim point putting, full swing, chipping. We've got a great facility at Kelly Plantation in Destin. And, you know, it's, just, it's a beautiful spot to come get a lesson and then go wiggle your toes in the sand. And then, of course, I, I'm obligatory like everybody else. I'm, I'm easy to find on social media, whether it's the personal Rob Strano page on Facebook or um, the Golf Kingdom on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, jump out there. We do some some behind the scenes stuff on social media that you can see from from inside the studio about the show. And and uh, and please, you know, don't go watch an episode. Trust me, you won't be bored watching some of the crazy stuff we do in studio uh, or the Golf Kingdom TV show to help you enjoy the game and get better. Rob, you're the best, my friend. I can't thank you for uh, taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Always fun when you're here. I hope you'll uh, you'll come back again real soon, my friend. I'll come back anytime you ask me. It's always great to be with you and the great guests like you've got. Um, it's always fun to listen to Tom ahead of me tonight and his wisdom on the game. And you know, every, every guest you've got is top notch, and and we all think you're you're above top notch. So thanks again for for uh, having me. It's always a pleasure. Ah, right, thank you very much for that, Rob. Take care, my friend. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Stay safe out there. You too. See you, Rob. That's a great Rob Strano. And uh, like I say, you can find him all over on social media. The Golf Kingdom is, is a wonderful show. And like I say, Rob, Rob puts a, you know, a fun spin on things. But along the way, not only do you have fun, you learn an awful lot. You've got a lot of great tips and it makes it very easy to understand. And, it, you know, from a lot of different angles, angles you don't typically see people when they're doing uh, when they're doing uh, lessons like on the Golf Channel Golf Academy, you only get certain angles. Rob will get right down there on the ground and get that camera angle right there, right there on the ground, so you can see it as well. So it's a wonderful show. Download it and, and uh, let me know what you think. I'll certainly pass it along to Rob. And if you got some questions for him, please let me know. I'll pass those along as well. All right. Before I get to my next guest, Charlie Meacham, I want to give another shout out to our friends over at the Macklemore. The McLemore Mountaintop Community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen Championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen, 
Designed by Bill Bergen, the Cairn provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now joining me is Charlie Meacham. Let me give you some background on Charlie. He's from Nelsonville, Ohio, which is a little southeast of Columbus. Graduated from Miami University of Ohio with his undergraduate degree and then Yale Law School. Charlie served three years in the Army. He was the chairman and CEO of Taft Broadcasting Company, which later became the Great American Broadcasting Company. In October of 1990, he became the commissioner of the LPGA. He's been a business advisor to several golf legends, including Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, Julie Inkster, Annika Sorenstam, and Dottie Pepper. In 2000, he was named the Great Living Cincinnatian, the highest honor awarded by the city of Cincinnati. He's written a book titled Total Anecdotal, a fun and unique guide to help people become a better speaker and writer. He has his own podcast called 15 Minutes with Charlie, and I'm very honored he's with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Charlie, thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure, and uh, I look forward to visiting with you. Charlie... You've had an amazing life, and I, and I want to start with the early days. And I'm curious, how does a young man coming out of being a captain in the Army to then practicing law and then becoming CEO of a major broadcasting company? Well, nothing that's happened in my life other than my first job was ever planned. Uh, everything just happened for uh, a variety of reasons. But to answer that specific question, I was the lawyer for Taft Broadcasting Company, and their chairman and founder was killed in a very tragic accident, and he had made no provision for a successor. So to my both uh, horror, horror and amazement, I was asked to come in and become the, the CEO in, in 19 late 1967. That was in a day when uh, broadcasting companies were limited, if you can believe this, in this day and age. But in that day and age, uh, the FCC only allowed you to own seven TV, seven AM, and seven FM. So we were generating enormous amounts of money, and we couldn't spend it to buy other broadcast companies. So we, uh, our first acquisition was actually the Hanna-Barbera Cartoon Company, and after that, amusement parks and uh, television and radio. So it happened completely uh, by happenstance. And then after that, uh, I, in sort of a similar way, I became uh, commissioner of the LPGA. But that's how the Taft thing happened. And it's interesting to me, Charlie, because the Taft Broadcasting Company was owned by the family of William Howard Taft, our 27th president. Talk about the roots of the company. Actually, it had two two roots. Uh, the Taft family had a, I've always called it a political 
uh, arm and a business arm. And the political arm was, as you said, William Howard Taft and Senator Robert Taft and on down that line. Then there was another line uh, of the family named Ingalls, I-N-G-A-L-L-S. And that was the the business uh, arm. And the two got along quite well and uh, and built this uh, wonderful company. And Charlie, you mentioned Hanna-Barbera. And I read that uh, while you were at, uh, at Taft Broadcasting, Hanna-Barbera was sort of pitched the, the Flintstones. But the Flintstones wasn't actually the first name that they wanted to use, right? It, it's a funny story, and probably more often happens more often in life than you would realize. But when Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera came up with the idea for the uh, space, you know, the the old family of the Flintstones, they found to their uh, horror that the Flintstones' name was already taken. So they decided, I'm sorry, they wanted to call it the Flagstones. And to their horror, they found that the Flagstones' name was already taken. So somewhat reluctantly and uh, and uh, hesitantly, they they fell back on the Flintstones, which is hard to imagine today that that wasn't the first name, but it wasn't. And Charlie, over the course of your career, you've been friends with so many interesting people. And, and I want to start off by asking you about a, a fellow uh, Ohioan, and that's Neil Armstrong. And I'm, I'm a yeah. huge fan of the space program going back to the Apollo days. And, and I've always read that, that, uh, that Neil was a very humble, sort of unassuming sort of guy. Is that what he was really like? Almost, almost to a fault. Uh, I used to, I used to say to him, Neil, for God's sake, don't be so damned humble. You've, You've done one of the, the greatest things in the history of, of, of mankind. But his, his argument, or his philosophy, I guess, was he said, look, uh, all I did was get in a capsule with a couple of other guys and do exactly what I've been trained to do for years and exactly what the support staff of thousands of people, all we had to do was follow instructions. Well, I'm sure that was an overstatement, but he really believed that. So he was humble. I think, I think whatever, uh, course in life Neil had chosen, he would have been humble. He was just that, that kind of person, but he was a delightful guy. He agreed to uh, join my corporate board, uh, pardon me, board at Tap Broadcasting Company. And we became very close friends. In fact, one of my favorite memories is that I persuaded him to go on uh, the TAP Broadcasting Company board, and that was not an easy thing because uh, right after he had made the moon landing, hell, every company in America uh, wanted him on their board. So when he agreed to come on our board, I, I was really pleased. He became an incredible board member, smart as a whip, asked the hardest questions, and I remember in one board meeting, he really got me on something, pushing me, on something we were doing, and I finally, I said, who the hell asked you to get on this board? <laughs> he, he said, you know damn well who did. But he was just an amazing person. My wife and I became very close friends with uh, Neil and his wife, Janet, and uh, we we became just deep, personal friends, and uh, 
I, I would have admired him for any reason because uh, he was just a genuinely fine human being. And and as a space nut, I, I got to ask the question: Did he ever talk about you know what it was like going to the moon and stepping out onto you know being the first human being to actually be able to step on the moon? The only time I ever heard him talk about it was when people people pushed him to talk about it. Uh, on his own. He would never say a word about it. But I remember uh, uh, one time he came out to the club where we lived in California, down in La Quinta, to play with me and the member guest. And uh, it was three days, you know, nine holes a day for three days. And uh, I was a little concerned that maybe people would kind of bug him a little bit, but they didn't until the last day. We're on this one tee, and there's a lot of rocks around the tee. And uh, this one guy said, uh, well, Neil, what was it like on the moon? And I thought, oh, God, what not? And he looked at the guy and he said, uh, great view, lousy service. <laughs> and walked away. <laughs> and the other, the other example I would give you, because your question's a very good one. Uh, a friend of mine would, took him out fishing, uh, deep sea fishing down in Florida. And I, I was not there, but my friend told me this story. The captain of the boat was simply beside himself that Neil Armstrong was going to be on uh, on his ship. So uh, they uh, were going, and again, Neil didn't say anything about it. Uh, the, the, the captain finally said, uh, Mr. Armstrong, I, I just I admire you so much. I just need to ask you, how, how did you navigate? Your, how did you navigate to the moon? And Neil said, well, it wasn't that hard. You just looked out the window, and there it was. <laughs> so, he he refused to ever be uh, pushed into into talking. But I have a couple of wonderful memories. One time when he and his wife came to visit us in California, uh, we played golf. Then we came back to our house. It, it was getting dark, and uh, we laid a couple of blankets out in our backyard. And of course, uh, down there, the, the, there's a zillion stars. And uh, he he laid there on the blanket and went to every constellation with us, explained everything that there was to about it. And then a similar example, we took a trip to uh, Italy with him, Tuscany. And uh, I learned that there was a museum in a little town of Vinci, which was the home uh, the uh, birthplace of Leonardo da Vinci. So I thought it might be kind of fun, and so we went over there, and in the museum, they had recreated probably 20 uh, of da Vinci's uh, inventions. In they were, they were miniature, and they were made of wood, but they were quite, uh, quite good. And, of course, our, uh, my wife and I and our friends had no idea what they were. Neil went down the line, explained every single invention, what it was for, whether it worked or not. And by the time we got down to the end of the row, I turned around. There must have been 50 people behind us listening. And I think they thought he was the, the museum curator. <laughs> but <laughs> the point being, point being uh, he just never uh, volunteered things. But if you ask him an intelligent question, he he would uh, he would answer it. 
Charlie, you were also a business consultant with Arnold Palmer for a couple of decades, and you actually had an office right next to his at Bay yep. Hill. What was it like sitting down with Mr. Palmer every day over a cup of coffee and chatting with him? You know, my probably my strongest memory is he was exactly as portrayed. He was exactly the guy that the media idolized and that all of his friends loved. There was no pretense. Uh, I'm sure he had an ego. How could you not? But it was never, it was never center stage. He, uh, he was a kind man and he, he loved what we used to talk about it. Uh, I'd say, Arnold, you know, the crowds are your, are your oxygen. And he'd laugh about it. And he'd say, absolutely right. I've got to have people around me. I love them. And I like to interact with them. So, uh, he had, uh, he had, uh, charisma, of course, but it wasn't, it wasn't flashy. It was real. And we had more fun when I sat in the chair about uh, 10 feet from, from him, an open door, and he would get these letters and he'd say, Hey, look at this. And he'd sail it through the door. <laughs> and I would, uh, give him a reaction to, to my thoughts. So all I can say is uh, he was exactly the person that you saw and loved. You also have a relationship with Jack Nicholas. And I was curious, did that come out of your relationship with Mr. Palmer or did that come out, uh, come uh, uh, about differently? It came out just the opposite of that. I've known Jack since 1970 when he designed a, a golf course for my old company, Tap Broadcasting, uh, north of Cincinnati. And I, I knew Jack forever. Uh, then when I became commissioner of the LPGA, I began running into Arnie at tournaments. And we got to know one another a bit. But then uh, the last tournament of my LPGA tenure was uh, at, at the... Uh, PGA West down in the Palm Springs. And I went over because Jack and Arnie were playing in a as a team event. And I went over and I said, Arnie, uh, uh, good luck. It said same to Jack. And he said, I've been meaning to call you. Let's have a beer after, uh, after my round. And I said, fine. I said, got him. So we sit down in the uh, upstairs bar, PGA West, and he buys each of us a beer. And then typical Arnie, he says, I want you to come in and run all my companies. <laughs> and so I said, hold everything. I, I wasn't <laughs> able to do that at that time because I had some other commitments. But we, we sort of massaged it. And a few months later, I became his personal advisor and shared the office with him. So actually, I, I knew Jack long before I knew Arnie. And Mr. Nicholas is actually the guy who recommended you to be commissioner of the LPGA, I think I was reading. Is that, is that correct? It's a great story. When I was invited to become commissioner, I thought, you know, I, I've been around golf, and I, I think I know golf reasonably well, but I don't know it so well that if I'm making a mistake here, I really need to know that. So I knew Jack. Quite well, I drove down to his office in North Palm Beach, 
And I said, Jack, I need your advice. And Jack's always like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I said, uh, well, I've been asked to be commissioner of the LPGA, and uh, I just like your opinion. And Jack said uh, in that kind of high voice, Charlie, you better take it. I recommended you. <laughs> I didn't even know it. <laughs> but he he had, and that was all I needed. I went from there. So, uh, And Jack and I are still friends. Uh, we talk uh, probably every week or two about a lot of things, and I'm going to hopefully, if the uh, pandemic doesn't screw it up, I'm going to Muirfield again this year for the tournament. So we've remained very close friends. But I got to know there couldn't have been two two people more different and yet closer than Jack and, and Arnie. And Charlie, do you mind telling the story of when you asked Mr. Nicholas to come to the Camargo Club and play in an event with you and then the clinic he put on, including hitting some shots from the waiter's tray? It was it was a wonderful story. Uh, I've been a member of Camargo, which is a, a great Seth Rayner course in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, one of the really top uh, uh, old, old, old courses in, in America. And uh, I asked Jack if he would come because I, I, I was sponsoring an outing of about, oh, probably 50 business people uh, from Cincinnati. But most of them were CEOs and pretty, pretty bright, uh, high, high flying guys. So he did. And he played uh, the, the, he, he, when we got to the course, I said, Jack, how should we do this? And he said, well, get a cart. We'll drive around. I'll stop at each group. Uh, and I'll hit, uh, I'll hit four shots from wherever they are. So we did that. And he amazed people, uh, of course. So when it was over, he did a clinic, uh, right in front of the, uh, of the clubhouse. And, uh, most of the guys by that time, uh, had had a couple, couple of drinks. And, but they were in a good mood, and so Jack started to demonstrate different clubs. And uh, he was demonstrating the sand wedge. And he said, now look, guys, look at the flange of the wedge. Look at the ball. The flange goes right under the ball. No problem. There's no reason why you can't always get that ball up in the air. Well, one of the guys who'd had a couple of pops said, uh, yeah, 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 but uh, what, what do you do on hard pans? Well, about that time, a waiter went by with one of those steel serving trays, and Jack said, let me have that tray. So the guy took the glasses and stuff off the tray, and Jack took six balls one at a time and popped them right straight up in the air off the serving tray. And, and he turned to this guy and he said, how's that for heart pain? <laughs> I've never <laughs> forgotten that. <laughs> That's a great story. Yep, it was a great, great story. Charlie, we lost an all-time great here this year at Mickey Wright. She's a, another legend oh, that you knew and, and visited with. She was a, a pretty reclusive lady, but you got to spend some time with her. What was that like? I spent a lot of time with her, and it it would be wrong to describe her as a recluse. She wasn't that. She, she was a very private person, and she... Uh, she didn't suffer fools lightly, as the old saying goes. But uh, for her friends, and you could get her. You know, she would. She didn't like to talk to the media, but uh, they could get her on the phone and talk with her. And she and I became very close. I went down to see her 
shortly after became, I became commissioner, and she couldn't have been nicer. And But I remember vividly when we finished the conversation, I stayed with probably an hour, and went out to my car, and she said, Charlie, uh, you know, you didn't ask me to do anything. And I laughed, and I said, no, Mickey, I thought it probably wouldn't be wise in our first meeting to ask you to do something. And she said, a very wise decision. Because <laughs> if I, you know, if I'd come on to her, but she, uh, one of the smartest people I ever knew, loved uh, loved uh, uh, the stock market, followed the market uh, religiously. And I was able to persuade her to do a couple of things, one of which was uh, a, a turn of, uh, a, uh, an outing where we had about, I think, maybe six or eight groups uh, of, of the old players, two, two in a group, and they were all there. Uh, uh, and Mickey played with Kathy Whitworth, which I've always enjoyed because there are 170 wins between, <laughs> between those two gals. And uh, she, uh, I told my wife, because we'd never seen Mickey play, I'd read so much about her swing and how Hogan and others had said it's the best swing they'd ever seen. So uh, we went, uh, I said to Marilyn, look, sure, we're going to get this group off really early. She'll probably be on the practice tee around 7.30. Let's go watch her, because there won't be anybody there, and we can we can watch her swing. And, we get down there. It must have been 50 LPGA pros who came to watch her play, watch her swing. And it was, it was unbelievable. It, you know, there's a lot of good uh, YouTube stuff on, on her swing, but uh, I've certainly never seen better. She was a delightful person, uh, just a very private person, just not comfortable in crowds and, and felt when she had really carried the tour on her back for uh, quite a few years, she and Whit. She could she could retire quietly, but uh, I can't say enough for Mickey. And by the way, she wrote a great book, an instructional book called The Right Way. And I would urge any of your listeners to uh, to to get that. It's a wonderful book. Charlie, just a couple more before I let you go. Yeah. And I also read that when you took over as commissioner of the LPGA, you were asked. What do you think our biggest problem is? And you said the players have a massive institutional inferiority complex. Talk about what you meant by that. Well, when I became commissioner in in, uh, the fall of of, uh, 89, the the tour was getting a lot of bad press. Uh, It wasn't doing very well. The commissioner at that point was not popular uh, with fans, players, or worst of all, media. And uh, the uh, PGA Tour, of course, was always a competitive force. But that was about the time that what was originally called, as I'm sure you know, the Senior Tour, was just coming on the scene. And, And the Senior Tour, for your listeners who may not know, in those days, they had everybody. Arnie and Jack and Trevino and, and, and player, everybody. So what was always a tough battle to get sponsorships for the LPGA became even harder because if you'd go in to see a potential sponsor and pitch the LPGA, inevitably 
they'd say, well, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're thinking about the senior tour. So when I was asked that question at a player meeting where all the players were there, what's our biggest problem? And I said, I think you have a massive institutional inferiority complex. I said, uh, you don't believe in yourselves. And nobody can ever succeed if they don't believe in themselves. And I said, let's not wait around for somebody to help us out. PGA Tour is not going to give a damn about us. Senior Tour is not going to help us. They're not going to badmouth us. It's not going to do anything to help us. Let's help ourselves. Let's begin to believe in how good we are because you're damn good. Let's look like pros. Let's walk like pros. Let's keep our heads up. Let's believe in ourselves. And you'll be amazed at what will happen. Well, to my great delight, they, they really embraced that theory. And they really did that. And I think it had a lot to do with our success over over my next uh, five years. And Charlie, in your book, there are a couple of really great stories that uh, I want uh, want you to tell. One was about uh, sitting with Richard Nixon at the National College Football Hall of Fame induction dinner. Do you mind sharing yeah. that story? That was an amazing night because uh, my company, Tap Broadcasting, was very, a strong supporter of the National uh, Football Foundation, college football. And every year in those days, they had a black tie dinner at the Waldorf. And it, it was a who's who. They had everybody there. And I went uh, most every year because of my company's support. I usually got a seat at the head table. So one year, about a week before the, the dinner, I get a call from the guy who's uh, in charge of the dinner. And he said, Charlie, I, I want to let you know uh, we're looking forward to having you at the dinner. You're at the head table. And you're going to be seated, seated next to President Nixon. And I said, thanks a lot, because this was <laughs> when Nixon was had been um, had resigned and had spent probably a year or so in almost in hiding in his home in New Jersey. This was going to be really his first outing. And so they knew that I could, <laughs> I knew how to, to talk and. So they said, uh, I want you to sit next to him. So I thought, what the hell do I say? You know, when you sit down for the first time, you shake hands. And, well, Mr. President, uh, you know, how are things? <laughs> how, how's, how's the old gang? What do you, what do, you do? So I, I happened to be in a bookstore in Cincinnati. I loved, used to love to walk through bookstores. Sadly, they're disappearing. But And I saw a book called Leaders, L-E-A-D-E-R-S, Leaders which President Nixon had uh, had written, and it profiled about a dozen people that he considered to be the greatest leaders that he had ever met and associated with. And they included people like uh, Churchill, De Gaulle, and Conrad Adenauer, and on and on. So I read this book with just really a delight. And so when we got to the dinner at the Waldorf, um, after a few pleasantries, I said, uh, well, Mr. President, I just loved, I just finished reading your book, Leaders. And as I said to my wife later, I didn't have to say anything else the rest of the night because he was so thrilled that somebody knew about the book 
He loved talking about the people that he profiled in it, and it gave him a way to really kind of resurrect the, the, his kind of glory, you know, his glorious past. So it was a memorable night. The other thing I remember, though, about it, it was perfectly obvious that he was really looking for public acceptance. And I, I noticed, I've never forgotten this, when one of the waitresses came by and handed us the menus for the dinner, he took the menu and then he said, would you like me to sign this? Oh, of course, sir. And he signed it and handed it back to her. But he it was clear to me he was anxious to get public acceptance once again. But it's a, it's a, it's a night I will never, ever forget. And Charlie, you also did a guest appearance on a show with Pete Rose, and it was about the <laughs> LPGA's Hall of Fame. Can you share that story? This is a great, it's a wonderful memory for me. Uh, when I was with the LPGA, we were playing a tournament down in South Florida, and Pete, in those days, had a radio show that he did out of a restaurant. It may have been, he may have had his own restaurant then, I don't recall, but it was in a restaurant. They had a studio. Uh, built into the restaurant, and I got a call one day, and Pete said, hey, because I've known Pete from Cincinnati, we're pretty good pals, we used to play golf together, and so on, I said, uh, he, Pete said, hey, why don't you come down, I'd like to do an interview with you about the tournament, so I said, that's great, we'll do that, and uh, so I went down, and we, he, he did a great interview, done his homework, and he was very complimentary of the, the players, and he, he touted it. Where, where they were, we were playing that week and encouraged his listeners to come out to the, to the event. And then getting near the end of the show, and Pete said to me, uh, and, and to the audience, he said, now folks, uh, we're going to take commercial break right here in a minute, but when we come back, I'm going to ask Charlie a really interesting question. So don't tune out. You're going to enjoy this. Click. We go to commercial. And I said, Pete, what are you talking about? He said, I'm not telling you until we come back on the air. So a minute or so later, we come back on the air. Pete says, Charlie, so glad to have the gals here in Florida to play. I love to watch them play. They're so great. Uh, I'm told that the LPGA Hall of Fame is the hardest Hall of Fame in all of sports to get into. And I said, that's right, Pete, it is. He said, why is that? And I said, well, Pete, there's no uh, votes from fans. There's no votes from media. Uh, everything is based on how you play on the golf course. Tournaments you win, uh, finishes, and so on. So he said, oh, isn't that interesting? He said, so the only thing that matters is your play on the field. Of course, by this time, I could see it coming. I, I said, yeah. And Pete said, don't you think that's the way it ought to be in every sport? And, and that was the end of the, end of the show. <laughs> it, isn't that classic, though? Brilliant. Yes, that's and it's brilliant. Just, it's, really, it's really tragic. And Pete is the first one to admit that he blames a lot of his failure to get in the Hall of Fame on himself. But still, uh, I've often said if you applied a, an ethics or morality test to the to the members of the Hall of Fame, I think there'd be about six guys left in it, <laughs> and uh, uh, maybe, maybe seven. But uh, it, it, of course, I'm a Cincinnati, and I consider Pete an old friend. But um, it, it, it does seem to me that if you if you base the 
requirements on on achievement on the diamond or on the tennis court or on the football field. That's probably the way to go. But I know there's another side to it. But anyway, uh, they don't they, they don't have the mic here right now. <laughs> That's great. Oh, good. Charlie, be- before I let you go, and God knows I could I could go on with you for hours because your your book is amazing and and the things that you've Thank done are absolutely mind boggling. Let Thank our you. listeners know how they can get a copy of that book and then how they can stay up to date with what you're doing. Well, actually, I've written two books. The most recent one you've alluded to, <clears throat> total anecdotal. There's another one called Who's That with Charlie, which I wrote about ten years ago. Uh, they are both available on uh, Amazon and I think Barnes and Noble. Uh, my, uh, I have a website which I think lists the podcasts that I've done. I've probably done a dozen or so podcasts. And uh, my uh, my uh, uh, website, I mean my email, is just Charles, not Charlie, but Charles Meacham at Yahoo.com. So they can link up with me through uh, almost any one of those ways. Well, Charlie, it has been a lot of fun having you as part of the show. And like I say, I've got so much more I'd like to get into with you. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. If you invite me back, I'd love to come back because I love telling these stories. and I appreciate your your willingness to to listen. And so uh, I'll come back anytime you wish. I appreciate that very much, Charlie. Thanks again for being here. Stay safe. And uh, hopefully we, uh, we get that opportunity soon. I'd love that. Take care now. Thank you again. See you, Charlie. Bye-bye. That's a great Charlie Meacham. And folks, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who has led just an absolutely fascinating life and has met and interacted with and become friends with, as you heard, you know, some of the greatest people in, you know, our country's history. I mean, that book, again, total anecdotal, a fun and unique guide to help you become a better speaker and writer. But when you hear that, read the anecdotes. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, I started going through it, couldn't put it down. So I, I can't I can't encourage you enough to check out both of them. And then his podcast, Fifteen Minutes with Charlie, is wonderful as well. So he's uh he's certainly a treasure, and uh, I I want to get him back on the show again soon for for all of us because uh, those stories are absolutely wonderful. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My thanks go out to Tom Patrick, Rob Strano, and Charlie Meacham for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what my uh, future guest schedule looks like. You can also stream or download any of our shows, and we've got hundreds of them. I mean, we're, we're well over 400 now, and you can find them on uh, podcast.co, and that's .co, so not com, podcast.co. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. We're all over the net. So uh, if you've got a favorite podcasting site, you'll probably find us on it. Just do a quick search for Next on the T. Or just go to uh, our, website, our website, nextonthet.net. We'll, uh, we'll link back and you'll be able to find them there. Folks, I can't thank you enough for continuing to choose to listen to this show and make us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.